May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto the Lord. Amen. The Duke of Wellington once remarked about Napoleon, I used to say of him that his presence on the field made the difference of 40,000 men. The presence of a strong leader has a powerful effect. How much greater is the impact of the awesome power of the presence of God? I was given a book this week on organizational uh, arrangements. Uh, The book was entitled Leadership and the New Science by Meg Wheatley. She shared her view. Three centuries ago, the world was imagined as an exquisite machine set in motion by God, a closed system with a watchmaker father who then left the shop. Perhaps that's what most of the business world believes. But from the beginning to the end, the Bible tells us of God's desire to be present with us. God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked faithfully with God. God commanded Abraham to walk before him. The burning bush. God was present with Moses in the burning bush. God was present with the Israelites in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. God was present with the Israelites in the tabernacle and the temple. The bread in the tabernacle and later in the temple was known as the bread of the presence. God was present with the prophets we've read from Isaiah this morning, words that were spoken thousands of years ago. God was present with the prophets. God was present in Jesus with ordinary people. God is present in us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, he is present with us. God is present with us today. And the vision of John recorded in the book of Revelation, people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, being gathered in the presence of God. God wants to be present with us. He's not a watchmaker father who then left the shop. There's a deep spiritual hunger in all of our hearts that can only be satisfied by the presence of God himself. Adam and Eve lost the sense of presence through their sin. Thereafter, the presence of God was not known as it was before, God is holy. We cannot take his presence for granted. It's only through the cross and resurrection of Jesus that a way into his presence and the gift of the Holy Spirit living within us now makes us present with God again. Now we can know the power of his presence. If I had more time today, we might go on and develop what that presence actually looks like and the intimacy with which God wants to have a presence with us. He's not just a being that is there, present physically, spiritually, emotionally. He wants to be present with us intimately. As a child, I belonged to a uniformed organization, Christian organization called Campaigners. Campaigners' motto was taken from Isaiah 40, which David, you read well this morning. Thank you. And at the end of that passage, it says, even youths grow tired and weary. Sometimes wondered if our leaders were glad about that. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That idea of people stumbling, falling, tumbling and stumbling, as Steve would say, after Jesus, kept reminding me of these eagles. When I was thinking of a logo for my accountancy practice, I was immediately thinking about people stumbling and tumbling, and I thought of the eagle, and it became the logo of our accountancy practice. I'll come back to my eagle in a minute. When my parents moved to Portugal a number of years ago, uh, they moved into a townland in Portugal called Cabecha d'Agua, which translated Eagle's Head. We have a little company called Eagle's Head. And when one of my staff was away in America a couple of years ago, they brought me back the Eagle's Head, which now sits on my desk. I can't avoid the Eagle. Last month, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of man landing on the moon in the Eagle. The BBC World Service made a superb podcast, 13 Minutes to the Moon. If you haven't heard it, download it. It is fantastic. In one episode, they tell the amazing story of Apollo 8. Apollo 8 became the first crewed spacecraft to leave low Earth orbit, reach the moon, orbit it, and return. That was in Christmas 1968. It was fascinating listening to the mathematicians as they try to work out how they could take the spacecraft from Earth and point it to a place which was 60 miles on the dark side of the moon. When they traveled to that point, they went out of radio. The people back in the US couldn't hear the astronauts any longer. And when they went into that silence, they were waiting for that moment when they could hear them again. That moment came and there was silence. They didn't know whether this rocket had hit the moon. They didn't know whether the rocket had sped off into space. But suddenly they heard the astronauts speaking. There was that great sense of relief. And as they traveled around the dark side of the moon, one of the things that they were asked to do was to take a film of the moon's surface. They were planning, of course, for Apollo 11 the next year. And one of the things that they were given uh, was some film. It wasn't in the digital age where you had unlimited amounts of film, so they had a finite amount of film. And as they traveled across uh, the moon's surface, they were asked to take a film recording of the moon's surface. It wasn't particularly interesting. It just said it was a lot of gray dust, looked like a dirty beach. But suddenly, as the Earth began to rise, there was a wow factor. These guys went off plan, they stopped filming the surface of the moon, and they started to take a picture and a film of this moon, of this earth beginning to rise. It's become a very famous uh, piece of film. They went off plan because they saw something amazing in creation. They were left speechless. No one could describe what they had seen. The program goes on to say, this is what Bill Anders, one of the astronauts, said. We are now approaching lunar sunrise, and for all the people back on Earth, and remember, there are more people watching this television program back in 1968 than at any other time in history. It's a little bit of a shame that it was all in black and white. But as the uh, moon rise, the lunar sunrise was happening, this is what they began to say. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, 
and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. It went on just like a switch. And God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Jim Lovell and Frank Borman continued the creation story, but this was the only way in which they could express what they were seeing. With a great picture of being present in creation, as they saw the earth rise, the first time that anybody in history had seen this magnificent scene in creation, they were left speechless, and yet they were in a position where they wanted to acknowledge their creator. Later, on the 1969 Apollo 11 mission, Buzz Aldrin, who landed on the moon in the Eagle, took communion on the lunar surface shortly after landing, using bread and wine he brought from his home church congregation. Church, what's going on in his life, connecting with creation. He then read off air John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God, creation, intimately engaged. After the Apollo team was reunited and heading back to earth, Aldrin read aloud a second scripture from Psalm 8. When I considered the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? This reading was broadcast live to the entire earth, just as the previous Christmas, Genesis 1, had also been read. Magnificent sight, God being present with us, God present with us in creation. Despite my interest in eagles, I've never seen an eagle. That is until this summer. I was trying a little bit to practice this business of being present in creation. Gillian and I were out for a walk in the French Alps, which were absolutely beautiful this summer. And there, calling in the sky was a bird of prey. And as we looked up, you could see this beautiful bird soaring high and moving with the wind. It was a golden eagle. It was powerful. It was awesome. It was beautiful. It took 55 years to see an eagle, but it was worth those 55 years waiting to see it. It was so in tune with its environment. It was amazing just watching it. It was a special moment. We could talk all day about being present with creation. Paul observed, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Be present in creation. God described his creation as good, but when he created humankind, he described us as very good. It's always a little bit disappointed that he didn't say excellent. He said we're very good. I don't know about you, but there are days I can be physically present, but not actually present. There are times where you can get lost in these. Maybe fallen into the internet through a computer screen or deep in thought wrestling with one of life's problems. Not only does God want to be present with us, he wants us to be present with others, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Love is an act of the will. Love, it isn't just a nice thought, 
about other people. It's about being present with other people. Sarah led us in our prayers of intercession this morning, and that is part of us being present with others. I'm a director of a nursing home primarily looking after elderly people. One of my inspirations for getting involved in the nursing home was Moses' request to stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. If you're over 55 and feeling a little bit old this morning and I haven't been present with you, I ask for your forgiveness. The Bible continuously challenges us to be present with others, not only present with the elderly, but present with our families, present with the sick, present with those who are mourning, present with the poor, present with the widow and orphans, even present with those in prison. I didn't talk to Sarah before she was preparing her prayers this morning, but one little bit of research that I came across this week was about people who are lonely. Over nine million people in the UK, almost a fifth of the population, say they are always or often lonely. Research shows that loneliness and social isolation are harmful to our health. Lacking social connections is a comparable risk factor for early death as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is a huge problem in the UK and Ireland today. There's a huge need to be present with others. But the need to be present with others is not just about being physically present. Paul encourages us to go deep with others. If any of you know me well enough, I always like to get in the number 222 and 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. So I was really glad that Paul, in writing this, uses the word presence. And this is what Paul wrote to his young follower, Timothy. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, he was present with people, entrust to other reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul was encouraging Timothy to be present with others, to go deep with others, but in a depth that they were so enthused that they would carry that on and be engaged and be present with others. What a challenge. Being present in time. The book of Chronicles tells the story of warriors who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him. Descriptions are given of the men by their various tribes. I won't go through all of the tribes this morning, but one in particular caught my attention. When he came to the men of Issachar, he described them as followers, follows. Men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. The men of Issachar were present in their time. They understood their times and knew what Israel should do. God calls us to be present in our time to understand our time and to give leadership in the public spaces in our time. That's a big ask. The world out there wants to make what we do private. We need to understand our times and make it public. God promises us wisdom, understanding and knowledge. As we read in Isaiah 40, it talks about God's understanding and knowledge. But what God has promised is that he will give us that wisdom, that understanding, and that knowledge if we seek his counsel. 
In an age of fake news, is there truth to be told? And how do we know the truth? This is a big challenge in our world. Is there a truth to be told? Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We need to learn and hold on to Christ's teaching and pray, firstly, for the ability to understand our times. Secondly, to pray for wisdom, for the ability to discern and judge what is true. As I was preparing uh, for today, uh, one of the things I do on a daily basis uh, is to go through the Bible in one year. Uh, Going through the Bible in one year, I do it uh, with Nikki Gumbel. It's on a little app. Sometimes these things are really helpful because you can listen to them wherever you are. Uh, One of the things that he was talking about during the summer was Truth to Tell by Leslie Newbigin. And it's an interesting book. It's challenged me over the summer. But one of the comments that he made about helping us to understand our time, he he quoted from a man, a Chinese writer called Carver Yu. The perceptive Chinese writer Carver Yu looking at our culture, that Western culture, from the standpoint of one deeply versed in both Chinese philosophy and Christian theology, sums up what he sees in the phrase, technological optimism, we can fly men to the moon, and literary despair. On the one hand, he sees the unstoppable dynamism of our technology, always forging ahead with new means to achieve whatever ends, wiser, foolish, we may desire. On the other hand, he looks at our literature and sees only skepticism, nihilism, and despair. Life has no point, nothing is sacred. Reverence is an unworthy relic of past times. Everything is a potential target for mockery. There are no honored models to shape behavior. The individual is alone and there are no root maps. Young people ask that question which in a stable society never comes to mind. Who am I? And if there is no answer, the simplest way out is to assert the reality of the self by mindless violence or else submerge the self with drugs. We could spend a long time trying to understand our times, but maybe there's something for you to reflect in that this morning. Secular reality is that there are no honored models to shape behavior. Secular society no longer has rational ways of choosing what ends are worth desiring. Gordon Brown, in a speech last weekend, said our nation is devoid of a unifying purpose. Biblical reality is different. Reality is that God is omnipotent, that life has meaning and purpose, and that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness in high places, and that if we hold to Jesus' teaching and we are really his disciples, then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Finally, presence with yourself. The journey out into being present in creation, being present with people, and being present in our time has to develop out of an even deeper journey into Christ. As Jesus said, if you hold onto my teaching, 
you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Sounds simple, very complicated. When a scribe asked Jesus what he considered to be the most important commandment, he said, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. We don't have time this morning to consider the meaning of heart, soul, mind, and strength, but they were important enough for Jesus to say these are an important part of your life, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Let's think for a minute about our minds. Our minds are where information is received from our five senses. It's where information is received from our parents, from our teachers, from the media, from general life experiences that shape our personality and character. The mind is like the central workshop where information is received, stored, and processed to form thoughts, intents, imaginations, which in turn translate into emotions, opinions, and behaviors. What comes into our minds ultimately gets reflected in our behaviors. We have some control over the information that goes into our minds and how we think and translate our thoughts into actions. But most people do not consciously exercise that control and they let their emotions dictate their behavior. Thought patterns and behaviors become engraved in our minds. They become hardwired and once established, take a great deal of discipline and determination to change. If you've ever tried to change something in the workplace, you'll know how difficult it is to change people's minds. We need to consciously exercise controls of our minds. We need to be present with ourselves. One characteristic of successful people is that they take time out to uh, every day to think, reflect, and meditate on what is going on in their lives. Jesus, who we follow, often withdrew to lonely places to pray and seek his Father's counsel. Secular world today, techniques used in mindfulness, thinking through actions and emotions and meditating, I'm always struck these are all things encouraged in the Bible, are widely recognized as promoting good mental health and well-being. So finding time daily to be present with God, to meditate on his word, to hold on to the teachings of Jesus, and think through our actions and thoughts, all sounds like a healthy thing to do. But is that what we do? Recent research carried out by Premier Radio find that 90% of Christians in the UK do not have a daily devotional and that the average Christian attended church once every three weeks. I was shocked. 25 minutes a sermon, not quite sure how long it is today, but maybe as short as 20. At 25 minutes a sermon, that equates to less than seven and a half hours of Bible teaching a year. Don't know if any of you are in professional environments, but you would fail your CPD if you were only doing seven and a half hours a year. Based on that research, the Christian community in the UK looks as if it might be in trouble 
at its very core in its basic daily devotions. We urgently need to follow Jesus' example and regularly withdraw, even daily, to a quiet place to consciously exercise control over our minds, to reflect, to hold on to Christ's teaching, to pray, to listen to God, and be present with ourselves. And what should our benchmark be in terms of what we're taking in? Paul's advice was, brothers and sisters, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is truthful, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. I don't know if you struggle to spend time just reflecting on your day. To get that discipline, you were hardwired that we haven't had that discipline in our lives. It takes time. I'm about to do a 100-mile cycle next weekend, and at the beginning of the summer, I really struggled to do five miles. It's taken me all summer to get up to, I'm up at about 65, 70, so another 30 miles to do next weekend. It happens gradually. I've had to hardwire my legs back into getting into cycle mode. We need to hardwire ourselves to have that time set aside daily to spend time with ourselves to be present with God. If you're ever looking for something uh, that might help, I have found greatly this Bible in One Year with Nikki Gumbel. The Bible in One Year app has been a tremendous help in my life. Or the Bible app. I was interested because I was looking it up this morning just to see was it something that I should suggest uh, sharing with you this morning. And I was interested that the Bible app this morning said that my daily devotions this week for four days should be demonstrating God's presence in business. There's an algorithm going on there in the computer world that is watching what I'm reading. If you need something to help you daily, there are lots of things out there to help you be present with yourself and to be present with God. In 1962, JFK made a famous speech in America about the vision about going to the moon. He proclaimed in 1962, seven years before they went, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. Today, we choose to be in God's presence. Today, we choose to be present in creation. Today, we choose to be present with people. Today, we choose to be present in our time. Today, we choose to be present with ourselves. That is your choice. Amen.